This is the Gary V Audio Experience. I grew up, I was born in the Soviet Union and moved to the US when I was three in 1978. I moved to New Jersey in 1982 uh, and grew up a really 1980s kid on the East Coast. So I'm sure for anybody who knows or enjoys the history of Toys R Us, you can imagine what that meant. It, it is, for me, one of the most iconic brands. It was such a tale, you know, North Star of my childhood. We were talking about Jeffrey Bucks um, outside. You know, Charles is an entrepreneur I look up to because also on top of my obsession with IP and storytelling and pop culture and being very affected by 80s cartoons which were driving toy sales, I grew up as a retailer. You know, I grew up in a family liquor store business and so I've always thought retail, I've always thought end caps. Like I remember when He-Man and Transformers and Cabbage Patch Kids hit Toys R Us and what that meant and how they merchandised and Teddy Ruxpin and like I took note even as a kid. Everything that's happening with me right now with the building of my IP on the back of NFTs now seems so apropos with the way that I rolled. Um, even, Even in my older age, I sold my entire sports card collection when I was 17 because I thought the market was moving and spent four years only investing and trading on collectible toys. So living on Jeffrey Bucks, starting lineups and you know action figures and all that stuff. So A, profoundly interested in the mascot-driven entrepreneur in retail, really you know, definitely one of those characters that I know a lot about and admire how he did it and how the company did it, um, and I'm just really, really humbled to be with all of you today. That's awesome. We're going to talk a lot about areas of your expertise that we, I know we're all interested in, such as NFTs and the metaverse, and just what's happening globally in marketing. Uh, but first, I got to point out, uh, maybe we'll even show the clip. When we announced the partnership together with Macy's, and we have 13 executives from Macy's here in the room today, the partnership that Macy's is going to roll out Toys R Us inside every Macy's store across the U.S. Uh, we actually didn't know each other at the time. Uh, we met afterwards, but unprompted, you posted a video on Twitter, and I said, "Do you mind if we play it?" Yeah. Okay. If Jessica, you could cue it, go for it. Love that Toys R Us is coming back as a store inside a store at Macy's. The guy with red, 400 locations. It's just a classic example of like brand always matters. If Macy's announced today that they were putting toys in their stores, it wouldn't even hit like a press release. Toys R Us, a store inside a store, people care. Brand always matters. How somebody operates brand, how they make it contemporary, how they execute that brand is the variable. But you can resurrect any classic. I'll tell you about that in a very interesting way. 14 years ago, I started a client service business. The President of the United States told me he was disappointed in me when I did. So Mark Zuckerberg told me he was disappointed. All my friends that knew me, that kind of had a sense of me at that point in my life, who thought I was on to big things, did not comprehend why I decided to start such a stupid business. Um, What I knew, or what I thought I knew, now I can say I feel like I nailed it, was I sensed in 2007, 8, and 9 that the only thing that wasn't gonna be commoditized was brands and the ability to be a contemporary marketer. And, And at that point I just didn't have any money, 
you know, I spent my entire career building my dad's business for him. If any of you are in immigrant family businesses, you know, he'd always be like, well, you'll get the business one day. I'm like, dad, you have great DNA. I'm gonna be fucking 75 years old when that happens. <laughs> so I had to start my own thing. I wanted to learn Fortune 5000 land. I knew entrepreneur land, I knew Silicon Valley land. I did not know Fortune 500 land. So I decided to have the humility and the patience to build a client service business and work with four Fortune 500 businesses. But I always knew that I was building an operating system. I knew that my agency would eventually turn insular and be a reverse private equity machine. So instead of buying brands and CFOing them, I wanted to buy brands and CMO them. Create hyper growth. Um, and I've always thought about arbitrage like this. Like what is out there that's, you know, for whatever circumstances, an opportunity and how do you inject, this is, to me, the brilliance was, it was distribution in a moment's notice. For me, the thing I spend the majority of my time on is, you know, I have 14 million followers on TikTok because I got serious about it when it was musically. Now that's a moat for me to market, but then it's also been a moat for all the brands I work with. And as I build VFriends, I'm always looking for the arb. As a matter of fact, let's talk real, really about Toys R Us and toys for a second. I believe, as a preview to, I'm sure we'll get to it, I believe that NFTs right now are the first thing I've seen since after school television in the 80s as a platform for IP building at this scale. If you think about 1981 to 1986 after school television, you're talking about Transformers, Thundercats, He-Man, Strawberry Shortcake, Care Bears, My Little Pony, all building through that distribution channel, the rebirth of G.I. Joe. It's profound if you think about that window. We've had, for 30 years, there's been other pockets of IP building, but that many of significance, it was a moment in time where there was a lot of attention on a specific distribution. I feel like NFT land, 99% of the NFT IPs that we see right now are destined to go to zero, 99. And I'm talking about the ones that are valuable right now because the operators are young and not focused on IP development. But there will be 15 meaningful IPs out of the tens of thousands that I think will replicate that era. And so I'm always looking for those moments, underpriced attention I call it, in marketing. And what I saw in that deal when I saw the headline was, underpriced arbitrage of distribution against an IP that I thought carried a lot more weight than a lot of people might have not recognized and so I thought it was a masterful job on both ends. Gary, let's let's uh, zoom into the NFTs for a minute. You talked, you mentioned VFriends briefly. We should maybe describe that, but you also just came back from VCon, uh, which is really, if we want to talk about what's happening, the cutting edge of NFTs and maybe the ones that will work in your view, as you mentioned, many won't work, more won't work than will. Um, how is VCon, what is VCon, what, what will make, as you just said, the IPs that are real IP, what will make NFTs work? Because believe me, we're thinking about NFTs, we've launched a couple of the Toys R Us, we, we definitely want to launch more, we want to do it on a global scale, we'd love to hear your thoughts. I think the first thing to think about NFTs and looking around this room, not everybody, but a lot of the people in this room lived through when the internet hit as a professional, definitely when social media hit as a professional. People are very good at underestimating and overestimating things when they are new. And so the same thing that happened with Web 1 and Web 2 is gonna happen with Web 3. The, the, I remember when I launched an e-commerce wine retail website in 1997. Um, I remember in 98, 99, 2000 when I started getting attention for it because we became the largest independent wine retailer in, in the country on .com. People would come up to me and say, Gary, I've got a website now. And they thought that was the win. And I was like, that's nice. Like, what are you gonna do with it? 
Twitter and, and Facebook for sure. At that point my career was in a different place. So many people would come up to me in 2007 and eight and say, I've got a Twitter. As if that was the win. Uh, same thing with this. Just cause you have an NFT, every single business on earth will have NFT integration to their business in 15 years the way that every business has a website and social media accounts. That's not the moat. How you use the tool is the moat. And so um, that's how I think about that. As far as VCon, when I did VFriends, so VFriends is an IP that I stood up last May. Um, It's uh, 268 characters that really focus on the attributes in the world that I'd most admire. Patience, kindness, empathy. I think it's a mix of Sesame Street meets Sweet Pickles, if you remember that book series, with a little bit of like Pokemon. Um, And so I'm really excited about it. I've always wanted to buy an old IP. I mean, literally three months before I started VFriends, I had heard that Gumby was on the market and was like gonna like look into it. Like that's how much my brain's been in this world for two decades. And so I stood that up. For context of economics, we've done two series drops in 15 months. Actually, I'm sorry, we're, we're, what's today? In, in one year, we've, 13 months max. Yeah, two, 12 and a half months. Uh, we've done two series drops. We've done $100 million in revenue. Um, and then more interestingly enough, and that's an NFT revenue, more interestingly enough, and this is where this gets real serious, real fast. When you drop an NFT, you get the royalties in perpetuity. So when I go find, like I did two years ago, a Thundercat at a garage sale for a dollar, in package still, LJN, may they rest in peace, I sell it on eBay for $280 and I make all that margin, eBay makes all that margin, FedEx makes all that margin, and whoever owns LJN these days makes none of it, whoever owns Thundercats makes none of it. I, VFriends, in 12 months, has done $250 million in secondary sales. I have three different series in play. I'm getting between 5.5 and 10% royalties on every transaction. These are staggering economics on an EBITDA level. If it trades and trades and trades. My great, great grandkids are gonna be losers and think that I was a genius. (laughs) That's how profound royalties are. You know, I always say if George Lucas was lucky enough to have his timing down, because if you look at how thoughtful he was when he made his Kenner deal and why he didn't make other deals, if he had done that, when NFTs were happening, let's say Destiny had NFTs and the blockchain happening in 76 and 77, there wouldn't be anybody in a mile of his wealth today. And so I think um, for everybody here, I mean, it's very rare to actually have IP that matters. There's a lot to think through. Uh, Now, the economics I just threw out are a byproduct of timing. You know, there's a lot of grownups in this room. If you remember what pets.com was valued at in 1999 in the stock market, you know, I, knock on wood, feel like I'll be able to put my head on my pillow because I'm gonna spend the next four decades executing this IP. Um, but if I was to launch BeFriends today, I would not be able to get the economics I just threw out because the market is already out of its gold rush phase, which is actually a great thing because there's a lot of scamming and a lot of like gold rush, de- you know, just the muckery that's not fun with early technology. But the, but the royalty component stays in place. The IP building stays in place. As a matter of fact, I will tell you, 
I can't find a logical reason why anybody on earth wouldn't start an intellectual property first as an NFT to establish their economics. There's absolutely no sense to start an IP as a book, as a toy, as a YouTube video, as anything else than an NFT because of the way the economics and the royalties and the leverage work. And so it's going to be a big impact. This show, everybody in it, everybody in this convention center right now is gonna be aggressively affected by the consumer blockchain because of what it means for royalties and ownership and IP rights. And if you are sitting in this room, knowing what you do for a living, even though you might not be touching directly IP, you're gonna be interacting with IP in a very aggressive way, please don't read the headlines. Please don't have your opinion on NFTs based on one friend's opinion on it. Please, if you're in this room, please spend the 25 hours to understand what the blockchain actually is, what it actually means, how it's actually gonna impact, because it's going to impact everybody on Earth. Speaking of blockchain and gold rushes, and I wanna just mention, um, Q&A is preferred. So uh, any questions, we have a microphone that's gonna go around. Uh, if your hand's up, we will definitely recognize you to ask questions. Uh, Gary, but speaking of gold rushes, and then you mentioned blockchain, let's uh, maybe segue from NFTs to crypto. Are you a buyer or seller of Bitcoin? I bought Bitcoin in 2014. So as you can imagine, I'm in a very unique spot where my basis is so low. Um, I think cryptocurrency is in such a different place than NFTs. So for me, NFTs come very natural based on some of the things I just said. Cryptocurrencies put far more pressure on governments than NFTs do. NFTs are gonna be tax profit centers for governments. Bitcoin starts going after tender in a real serious way. When, when Emirates Air announces that it's now accepting Bitcoin, you start, you know, governments only have so much control. They have control around the money and the bombs. And if you take the money away, there's only one thing left. And so I'm, I haven't spent the intellectual time on cryptocurrency that I have on NFTs. I, I, I would hold Bitcoin from uh, me, myself, even if I bought it today, because I think it's crossed the chasm as a brand. As far as every other cryptocurrency I have, besides Ethereum and Solana, which I need to buy NFTs, I spent no time on it. So when all week in the last couple of weeks when everyone's like, what do you think about Luna? I'm like, I have no idea. You know, I, what I understand is why people buy things. Speaking of buying things, Gary, I'm gonna bring us back to Toys R Us. Uh, we've got, as mentioned, we've got really 1,400 stores represent this room, 900 today but we've got a heck of a lot of stores open in the U.S. We have stores opening in Asia, stores open in the Middle East. Uh, we've got all sorts of new concepts in work. Deep in the pipeline is a possible airport store. There's lots of things happening. Um, what are you doing in toys and collectibles? Because as you mentioned, in your, you talked about some of your kind of growing up and your roots. Uh, it's very well known that you were an avid collector of a lot of things. In fact, you mentioned Jeffrey Dollars. I believe you told us <laughs> on the phone that you have you say 17, I think you told us $17,000. I should definitely not tell this room what I used to do with Jeffrey Dollars. <laughs> well, that you can tell us, it's close. The refund policies were very different back in the 90s. Um, well, what are you doing, I'm curious so, what you doing in so once, as you can imagine, when you do $50 million in sales in a week on 94% margin, you're like, uh-oh, I've got a big tax event, I've got a big opportunity, and so, for me, VFriends is gonna be vertically and horizontally integrated. The animation studio, the toys, all of it. Comma, I wanna do lots of things with other partners as well. Yes, I wanna make my own plush. I'm incredibly open to 
Mattel and Hasbro and anybody else who wants to have a conversation. I want to do JBs, I want to own my own stuff. Serendipity clicks in, it's really fun that they're here. Darren, like, you know, I met Toy Keto early on, he was fundraising. Darren told me about his background. Um, I've made the majority of my decisions in my life around intuition. I made a substantial investment in his company and I felt that I owned enough of Toy Keto where I could do my core business instead of just fully doing it inside myself. Here was somebody who really knows the business, I like, I think is capable and so we're doing our toys right now with Toy Keto. But from day one, from the first combo I'm looking at him right now, I said hey, I'm gonna probably do stuff with Hasbro and Mattel and Squishmallows and Moose Toys and like I need to, you need to understand how I think about the world. I think about the world as and. As long as you're very upfront and over communicate what your strategies are and who you are, I think there's a lot more and than or. I'm thrilled to do an exclusive. I'm thrilled to do exclusive for a period of time, but I always wanna be able to have flexibility. Um, and so we've, uh, we got very serious about that conversation and then obviously we got connected and we got very serious about our conversation.